The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions from a biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Charles Roberts and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello and welcome to another Out of the Question podcast. I'm Pastor Charles Roberts and I'm joined today by Andrea Schwartz, my co-host. Hello, Andrea. Hi, Charles. Glad to be back. I missed the last podcast due to circumstances beyond anyone's control. So we're uh, very glad to be back and today especially glad because we have another guest with us today. We have Charles Van Fake from Cape Town, South Africa, who is a missionary there with In Touch Mission International. Charles is a native of South Africa, so uh, to say he's a missionary doesn't mean that he's gone over there and been living there for a few years. He was born and raised there and may be known to many of our listeners, but uh, we're very glad to have him on board with the podcast today. And uh, we have uh, a number of questions that we want to ask him, out of which we hope to find uh, some significant answers to perhaps much deeper issues that lie below the surface of these uh, questions. But I'd like to ask a question to start off, because you made a mention of the fact that Charles is a missionary in his own country. Charles, could you differentiate what it means to be a missionary where you are as opposed to just minister where you are? All right. Well, thank you very much for having me on the program, Charles and Andrea. It's great to be with you. Uh, Yes, the um, idea of being a missionary really at the end of the day should be something that all Christians strive to be. I suppose the idea of being a missionary rather than just ministering really is the work happening in lots of different countries. So I'm working in South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Congo, Cameroon mainly. And so I suppose that uh, takes on a bit of a different connotation. But at the end of the day, all of us as uh, Christians should be seeking to disciple the nations and take dominion. And I think that's basically the idea of what uh, mission should, should be about. Okay, good. Thank you. Well, Charles, let me also uh, ask an initial question. We here in these United States have a perception of Christianity, of course, here in our own environment. And you know, I've lived enough places across uh, the country to know that things are more or less pretty much the same, uh, depending on whether you're in an evangelical church, a mainline church, a Catholic church. You don't go to church anywhere. But I think, as I have also traveled outside the country, uh, I've recognized that things are not quite the same in other parts of the world in terms of Christianity. So uh, maybe I've already answered this question for myself, but let me ask you, as someone who has come from another country, uh, a native of another country, and you've been to the United States many times, do you think Christians have a a somewhat skewed view of the Christian faith, maybe not quite a a full understanding of what the faith looks like in other places? Uh, I certainly think so. Uh, In fact, I had some... American pastor friends with me in Zambia just a few weeks ago, and they were sitting there uh, shaking their heads saying, you know, the Americans have no idea. (laughs) And so there were things that just completely shocked them at the way the culture works, the way things happen. Uh, Just to give you one little story, just as a a representation of uh, a bigger challenge, that was every time we took a taxi, the taxi driver as you got into the car, would drive straight to the petrol station or the gas station, as you call it, 
and he'd put in three liters of petrol to drive us to our destination. Well, what happens when he gets to the destination? He needs to fill in, pull up uh, another three liters to be able to get to the next person he needs to pick up. And this was just absolutely shocking. But it just shows a much bigger challenge, and that is people don't think to the, for the future, they don't prepare for the future, they don't take personal responsibility, and all the other issues that go with you know, running your, your tank dry and all the dirt getting into the carburetors, and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, to cut a long story short, uh, we'd speak to the taxi drivers about this, and then one taxi driver filled his tank. Well, you can imagine who we used for the rest of the two weeks we were in Zambia. <laughs> but uh, that just gives a bit of an idea of uh, the thinking and the circumstances uh, just in, in that one, one environment. Well, let me ask you this. I, I think many Americans perhaps don't have a clear understanding of the nature of the Christian faith in the, the larger continent of Africa, but especially where you live. You know, we have this idea that you have, at least in those parts of Africa, not North Africa, where you have, uh, of course, historically you had a Christian presence, but for the past, I don't know, seven, eight hundred years or a thousand years or more, it's been Islamic. But in uh, Central and Southern Africa, we have this idea that, you know, American missionaries or European missionaries have come and spread the gospel in these different places. Could you just say a, a few quick words about the, especially the history of the Christian church in South Africa? Yes. Um, South Africa is pretty unique compared to the, um, the rest of Africa. But uh, just going back to the idea of the taxi, you know, this sort of cultural idea of not looking towards the future, not preparing, is something that's also prevalent in the church. And that's uh, a big challenge. You know, if you're not living uh, for the future, you're not taking dominion, you're not thinking in a victorious way, and all you do is gazing up into heaven waiting for the Lord Jesus to come and save you out of this chaos. It has a really devastating effect on the church as in the body of Christ. Uh, just another one example was a friend of mine was speaking to some people in uh, Zambia and one of the men had lately come to faith in Christ. And he said, when I became a Christian, I heard that Jesus is coming soon. And so the first thing I did was took my children out of school because why would I want to waste our family's funds on education? And he said it was only because of the protesting of the children that uh, he reluctantly let them go back to school again. Wow. And uh, he said, now at least my children have got jobs. Could you imagine if, <laughs> if the children didn't complain? And, mm. uh, and so he was fascinated to hear that actually, you know, the possibility is that Christ isn't coming soon. We need to look to the future. We need to take dominion. We should be training up each other in the faith. We should be discipling the nations. This was totally foreign to what he had first heard, which is the normal mantra in the church. And, and we have those same challenges in South Africa. The idea of uh, Christians being involved in the social political arena is sometimes a, a negative idea uh, to the normal Christians in the evangelical churches. And they will despise people for that because, you know, wh why would you want to do that? The Lord's coming soon. And so we don't need to um, get involved in politics, and politics is dirty, it's, it's terrible, and at the end of the day, the Christians aren't going to vote for you anyway, because in Africa we vote for those who make the most amount of promises to give us um, the biggest portion of the loot. <laughs> so it really makes things uh, you know, very different uh, to the historical Western Christianity. Well, this begs the question, 
why are you there? I mean, in other words, you probably could have gone lots of other places, done lots of other things. What keeps you doing what you do? I think well, one of the big things that, that happened in my life was the St. James Massacre when terrorists attacked our church in 1993. And by God's grace, I was armed and I, I returned fire at them. And I ended up, to cut a long story short, visiting the chap that I shot inside the church, one of the terrorists. I visited him in jail after he'd been caught uh, by the police and uh, I had to testify against him in court. And the, when I was talking to him in the prison, he said to me, Charles, I'm going to heaven one day. And I said to him, Kaya, how on earth can you say that you're going to heaven? You're going to hell, my friend. You murdered innocent people in the church. 11 people were murdered and over 50 were, were injured. And he said to me, no, I'm going to heaven because I am fighting for a just political system. And what he was talking about was that he was fighting against the apartheid government at the time. And I said to him, but we say by God's grace through faith, Kaya, uh, you did bad works. We're not even saved by good works. And I realized he had obviously been uh, the idea of this uh, black theology and these sorts of things that so infiltrated the church that these young men were completely convinced that they could earn their way into heaven by murdering innocent people. And the true gospel of the kingdom has not been preached in Africa. Otherwise, Africa wouldn't look the way it does. How, how can we have a growing church in Africa? There's 400 million people in Africa claiming to be Christians, and yet we don't see people living out their faith the same person that is um, on singing in church for three hours on Sunday and literally they'll sing for three hours and have a 20 minute sermon is the same person who's sitting in parliament on Monday voting for abortion because there's no connection between his political life his uh, so-called religious life and his business life and any, any other part of his, his being well don't you think people then would just say that there's something morally derelict about them. That's not how it is in the West. But quite frankly, don't you think the West is working off a Christian capital that has by and large been depleted and we could expect to see similar things here that you're telling us about there? I think that's a very valid point, Andrea. Lots of people tell me that when I come to the West. Um, you know, the whole idea of scripture right from the beginning working through to the end is the idea of obedience. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Well, in Africa, we have lots of sacrifice. People are willing to pray through the night. They're willing to, you know, give a little of their 1% to the church to really help the pastor survive. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm being uh, silly now, but the point is they'll, they'll sacrifice what they can for the faith and, and do what they can, but there's no faithfulness to Scripture. Um, I, I remember I was at in one church, and they'd been singing for two hours, uh, worshiping or um, praising the Lord. And I said to my interpreter, how much time do I have? And he said to me, you got 20 minutes. And I said to him, goodness gracious me, you've been singing for two hours. We're not going to spend 20 minutes in the Word. And that actually is 10 minutes because of the interpretation. I said, you know, uh, we're going to go. For, we're going to go longer than that, and and so there's this idea of, you know, we can put God's word aside because nobody reads in Africa. Uh, I said to a group of boys that I was uh, 
sitting with uh, discipling, uh, we call ourselves soldiers for Christ, young men, young men that are determined to get on and stand fast uh, for the, the gospel of the kingdom. And I said to them, what's wrong with you people? Why don't you read books? And one of the young men said to me, we are completely dependent on government from the time that we are born to the time we die. What difference does it make if we read books? Hmm. Wow. Amazing. Well, Charles, let me ask you this, um, taking the discussion a little bit different direction. In your experience, and I realize Africa is a large continent, but in terms of the places that you've been, the places that you've ministered, is Christianity growing in Africa, in Southern Africa, or Central Africa? Is, is the church expanding and growing? Uh, statistically, uh, we're told that it is. Uh, apparently, there were uh, almost 9 million Christians in the, ni- in the year 1900, and now we're looking at 400 million, and we're expecting to be at about 600 million by 2025 just as far as statistics go. But uh, at the end of the day, we, we're not talking, from my perspective, about the, the true church with a capital C, the body of Christ, because we see syncretism everywhere. I mean, it is so prevalent in the churches where Jesus Christ, Christianity, is just an add-on to the ancestral worship that goes on. And uh, it is, it's catastrophic, how, how large this is and what a massive proportion it is in the churches. I was speaking to a friend the other day who uh, is, uh, was a gang member, a black friend of mine, and he, he wasn't a gang member. He was the leader of a gang in Cape Town, and then he went to prison, and he became the leader of the gang in the prisons. I mean, multiple murders. And I was chatting to him, and I said, you know, one friend of mine said that in Africa, those of us who call ourselves Christians, 90% of us, We'll go back to ancestral worship and we'll go to the Sangoma or the, or the witch doctor if, if trouble comes upon our path. And he looked at me, he stopped eating, and he said to me, no, that's wrong. That's, that's very wrong. And I said to him, what are you talking about? He said, it's much higher than that. It's mm. much higher than 90% that will return to the ancestral worship um, out of the so-called Christian community. And, and that's how devastating it is. And then he went on to me and said, Charles, even in my local congregation, last Sunday, one of the, our members of the church walked up to me and said, hey, we must get together and, and go slaughter a goat for the ancestors. Um, this is very prevalent. It's an absolute disgrace. It's uh, a, t- a terrible sin, and it's almost the norm. Well, was South Africa ever at its roots Christian, and this is a change, or is this something this darkness has been being, you know, people like you have been combating it for a long time. Oh, that's, that's very difficult to, to answer that question. Um, I think the, the way Africa looks would tend for us to be able to say that maybe the true gospel of the kingdom hasn't been preached effectively. And the challenge is, you know, people come to Africa, they give a lot of money, they seem to have some kind of a, a conscience uh, for, the, for the poor and, and praise the Lord for that. But we seem to have had too much of this idea of, well, we might just get out there and we have to do projects, but the true gospel of the kingdom isn't being preached. Uh, that's, that's literally what it looks like, and that's where we're trying to make a difference is to get people to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of their lives. And I've been sitting with, with some young men and be busy talking about these things and just, just on a simple issue. Uh, I started challenging them and asking them if they, they're sleeping with their girlfriends. 
and and all except one was was having sex with his his girlfriend, and these are young men who've come to faith in Christ, and we've been teaching them for two years, and we've been working on this all the time. But in their community, that is normal life. The mothers in the community encourage the young girls to go have sex with the young men, so that they can fall pregnant and prove to a future husband that they're fertile and can have children for him. This is the kind of community we're living in. And I'm talking about, these are Christian young people we're dealing with. Uh, I had some Christian young people talking to me and saying to me, I must be very careful when I come into their township, uh, their, their swatter camp, their, their living areas, because the Tsotsis, those are the hoodlums, the bad guys, the gangsters in the area, they've got special powers from the witch doctor. And these powers are, are absolutely amazing that if if they try and kill me and I try and defend myself and I shoot at them, my bullets will turn to water. And so I said to them, well, I shoot Christian bullets. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, th and these are Christian kids. Um, they're young Christians, obviously, but this is what is in the mindset. This is even in the church. And obviously we're generalizing. You know, they are really godly, solid Christians who love the Lord and getting on with the work. Uh, we're not saying it doesn't exist. I'm talking about the majority of the church population. Uh, syncretism is a big, big challenge in Africa. Well, Charles, let me just follow up on something you just said. The, the point you were making about uh, the mother encouraging the daughter to become pregnant to prove that she is fertile and therefore would make a, a good wife candidate or something like that. I mean, to me, that sounds like a holdover from a pre-Christian cultural uh, scenario. Is that accurate to say that? Uh, yes, I think, um, you know, one, one person said to me while I was talking to them about this year, year in America, he said to me, that idea can't be too old because uh, you can't carry on gener gener in a generation. You can't keep doing this all the time because you're going to annihilate yourself, <laughs> you know, if you carry on with, with this kind of thinking. Um, in other words, the families are going to disappear. This is going to be chaos. Mm. Um, and so it's very difficult to tell. Some people say that historically when the first uh, Christians were coming in the 1700s to Africa, that the Africans at the time wouldn't listen to the missionaries because they thought the missionaries' morality was way lower than theirs, and they didn't want to embarrass themselves by lowering themselves to the missionaries' ethics and morality. So mm. uh, very difficult um, to tell now, but I've also heard that from missionaries who've just been in Africa for one generation that you know their elders had the same challenges. So um, uh, you know I don't know what those um, those moral issues were that the tribes were thinking about, but sometimes it's just little things. You know, like for instance, we have these Western young people coming over uh, from America or other Western nations, and they come to supposedly give up their lives uh, for the gospel by going to an orphanage and playing with the kids for two weeks at, uh, and costing what you could keep a missionary in the field with uh, a local missionary for a year with the amount of money they're spending. And these girls will come with these little short pants on and play with the kids and have fun in the community. But the, the embarrassment they bring upon the community is that in Zambia, among certain tribal groups, if a lady shows her thighs, that is considered pornographic. If she was topless, that wouldn't mean anything. Um, and so we have people that are uh, coming there, doing their thing, uh, trying to be a blessing, 
and yet they are quite offensive to the to the local community. So if that's the kind of standard that we're talking about, then you know it just makes things more complicated at the end of the day. I think I remember someone saying too. Another issue is when Americans uh, or Europeans, or I'll just say Americans, come over for that same project. If they have a lot of tattoos, this becomes a problem as well. Is that correct? Yes, uh, that, that is, is correct. Um, I have friends that come over and they have to cover themselves up completely in the heat of the Central Africa and they're wearing long pants and long sleeves and that all the time uh, just to be able to cover that up. Why um, is it a problem? Uh, well, the, the, the local population see that as something that was done before they became Christians. They would be involved in body scarification and tattoos and... Um, making holes in their bodies. Um, you know, sometimes they make the earlobes very big and they hang big, big ornaments on them. And that, that whole idea to them was pre-Christian. So before they put their faith in Christ, that's the way they carried on. And now they're not carrying on doing that any longer. Hmm. And, and obviously, you know, we, there are scriptures that deal with this in the, in the Old Testament, but most evangelicals will say that it doesn't apply today. But uh, as far as Africa goes, that's, that's our old life. Um, we don't carry on with that anymore. And the other thing, just to add to that, you know, why it becomes prevalent in an area, say there's a tribal chief that's come to faith in Christ, then his tribal people will consider um, the fact that they are all have, they've all become Christians. And we're not talking about every single person that's put their faith in Jesus Christ, but in Africa, you're part of a community. You're not an individual. And so if the chief has um, put his faith in Jesus Christ, then you consider the Christian with them. If a father comes to faith in Christ, his family is considered a Christian family immediately. And that's the, the, the thinking of the population as far as the, you know, the tribal ideas go. And then things are changing, obviously, with uh, westernization and people moving to cities. So when you talk about people don't read, is it because in their schools they don't teach reading or they teach it poorly or it's not emphasized, but when, it would seem to me that if you wanted people to embrace the faith, that would be one of the first things you would have to do as a missionary to teach them to read. Yes, very good point. Uh, my friends that have worked in Mozambique many years ago said that they would take Bibles and um, hand them out into the community. And the community, the Christian community, the churches were saying to these missionaries, they said, you know, it's, it's really interesting historically just a few years ago, the missionaries would come to Mozambique and they would work with us here and they would train us to read. But the communists gave us something to read. In other words, the missionaries left, we can read now, but they, they're not giving us any books to read. <laughs> so, um, I mean, that might just be an excuse, but uh, they're saying the communists came with their indoctrination and they gave us something to read. Um, I spoke to another man that was the head of a terrorist organization, in fact, the, the group that attacked our church in 1993, and um, he, he was said that he, he was a Christian. He was um, following Christ. He wasn't just a pew warmer. He said, I even did door-to-door evangelism. And then he said, I found out that Christianity doesn't speak to my poor friends in our community. He says, we were very poor. There was no industry. We economically not supported by, by the state, and things are falling to apart uh, in our community. And he says, everybody was telling me, when I was asking questions about this, they were saying to me that, um, well, the Bible doesn't talk about these things. 
So he said, I started doing research. I started reading Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels. And he said, I started finding answers to my questions about the economy and about changing society. He said, so I left Christianity. He said, Christianity had absolutely nothing to say to help us in our circumstances uh, that we were living in. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the kind of challenge we're sitting with. The, the, the people don't have a, a culture of reading. Uh, they are teaching reading in the schools. Um, in fact, it was the missionaries that started setting up all the Christian schools that were, were largely taken over by the apartheid government in, in South Africa. Um, and uh, we've, we've got the same challenge right now in Stonehill in South Africa where we're doing a lot of uh, mission work. We've set up an early childhood development center, and the government, the city government wanted to buy it from us. They wanted to take it over, uh, and we, we told them to go get lost. And it's all this kind of thing all the time. The, the, the government and the officials want to control the education of the people. So we've got two challenges. The one is that we, we don't have decent Christian books to read, and the other one is people don't want to read anyway because if the government looks after you. Why do you need to read? So it's a bit of a catch-22, I think, at the end of the day. How prevalent is the internet and people being able to access things online? Uh, that's becoming uh, very big, apparently, uh, in Africa. I say apparently because I don't keep up with those sort of statistics, but um, as far as I remember, as far as the continents go, I think we're the biggest internet users when it comes to cell phones. So in other words, if you, your website um, can't be read on a cell phone, it's not going to be probably read by an African because we mainly use cell phones for the web. Uh, there again, the idea is so skewed. I, I was in the Congo speaking to a young man. He told me he wasn't going to school anymore. So I said to him, why aren't you going to school? He said, because I can't afford to go to school. And I said to him, but you've got a cell phone in your hands. How much is your cell phone costing you every month? And he said to me, it costs $8, US dollars a month. I said, how much did schooling cost you? He said, $10 a month. I said, throw that cell phone in the bin and get back to school. <laughs> um, and so, oh, it's just very difficult. There's such warped ideas. Um, the traditional African religion is just absurd. And we've got to deal with all these. We don't sit around wondering what to do as far as Christian missions go. We are busy all the time. We really need the, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to help us, to show us you know, what, what projects to do and, and what to handle next. Do you find that people who are converted, that they have greater influence among their tribes than you would if you weren't part of their tribe? Yes, I think that's very difficult to, to answer that because one very seldom finds – yes, I think the answer to that, Andrea, would be yes. You have a lot of influence amongst your own people, which you often – uh, or what you don't find in Africa, let's put it that way, is that black tribesmen would go as missionaries to other black tribes. You don't often find that happening. So they will normally stay in their own clans. The African worldview says that or believes that there is only a limited amount of resources in the world and there's a competition between other people and other tribes and my clansmen and I, for those resources. And so they don't understand that if you all work hard, you can grow an economy. They think there's only limited jobs. So when other Africans come into South Africa from various countries, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Congo, Namibia, then our uh, black people in South Africa feel that they are coming to steal our jobs and they kill them. 
It's, uh, they've sometimes used them. They've lately been using the, the necklace method, which uh, Winnie Mandela was so good at marketing in South Africa, where they put a tire from a car around a person and they throw petrol, gasoline over them and set them alight. And others are being murdered. And the idea is that they are here and they're stealing our jobs. Interesting. You know, in, in America, we have, um, you would think that the biggest problem is racism in as much of people of color combat people who are not the same color or white people don't like Hispanics or whatever the, the current mantra is. But that's not the situation in Africa. Skin color isn't what separates people. Yes, uh, it's quite interesting because I also find when I travel here in America amongst um, some conservative evangelicals that there's this idea that the African church is just so pure and they've got everything together and the Western Christians are struggling with materialism. Well, let me tell you, I'd, I'd rather struggle with materialism in, in the church than dealing with, with the kinds of things we have to deal with, with the syncretism, the ancestral worship, people cutting themselves, and the demon possession in people who say they've come to Christ but haven't yet, the amount of manipulation and lies and deceit that goes on in the communities. Uh, we, we're struggling in South Africa, not obviously in the church, but in South Africa we have babies that are being raped. We have over 300 people that have confessed to eating human flesh in South Africa, this, this kind of thing, you know, if something, if you heard of one person doing that in America, it would, it's, there's a national outcry about something like that. In fact, I have American friends saying to me, if, if you were in prison in America and people found out, the, the, the other prisoners found out that you raped a baby, your life would be uh, hanging in the balance. I mean, even the prisoners here have got higher standards than our people in South Africa. You know, when the Sangormas and the witch doctors are telling people that they can cure the HIV AIDS by having sex with a baby. This is the kind of nonsense that one has to put up with in, in our world. Well, Charles, when you travel here to these United States and other places, perhaps uh, Europe, do you find that the media, the predominant media, are giving an accurate picture of what's happening and going on in uh, South Africa and other places in Africa? No, definitely not. Uh, you know, just to give an example... Uh, with um, Nelson Mandela was at a funeral in South Africa and they were singing about you know, taking the machine guns and killing the whites and that sort of thing. It's all being done in Toza. And Western people don't understand what they're talking about or singing about. And so it doesn't get reported. Uh, our locals all know what's going on. The Toza speaking people and they can explain to their friends what's, what's going on there. And then when the politicians speak to the Western press, then they use all your kind of words. Freedom. Well, freedom in Africa doesn't mean American liberty. Freedom in Africa means being able to get your hands on the loot. Uh, I've spoken to former terrorists in South Africa, and they said to me, they're very upset with our politicians. I said, why? They said, because we fought and spilled our blood to put them into power, and now they are not sharing their freedom with us. Hmm. What's freedom? It's money cars, jobs, that's what freedom is. And then they talk about democracy. You know, democracy doesn't exist in Africa. It's, it's not, the, not at least the, the kind of democracy that you have in America. You know, we have a Christian, the idea of a Christian republic, and democracy is just the means to be able to put into practice uh, the, the uh, philosophy. In Africa, democracy is just the biggest tribe comes to power, and they 
absolutely either annihilate or wipe out or give no uh, rights to any minority groups. That's the way it works. Well, let me ask you, I remember, uh, Andrea, you may remember this too, but I believe it was in the late 1990s. There was, a, I believe, a cover story in what was then called the Chalcedon Report about a particular African leader who had become a Christian and was adopting the Ten Commandments as the standard for his country. Do you remember that, Andrea? Yes, I do. It was Zambia. Zambia. Yeah, his name was Frederick Chaluba. Okay. What, what, where, where is that today, Charles? Is he, is he still a Christian? Is he still around? Yeah, he's passed away. Um, I'm actually friends with his, uh, the person that, that pastored him uh, while he was still alive. Hmm. And uh, he, he was a really interesting character. He was a trade unionist and came to faith in Christ while he was imprisoned by the previous president. And uh, when he won the elections, he proclaimed Zambia to be a Christian nation. And he started allowing farmers from Zimbabwe and other countries to come and farm in Zambia and, and gave them uh, five years of no taxes, uh, no taxes on their implementation, their farming implements that they brought into the country. And 200 farmers uh, that moved over from Zimbabwe to Zambia turned the whole economy around from in two years from being a net importer of food to being a net exporters of food. So just incredible uh, changes in the nation. They banned pornography. Um, Abortion was, is also banned. And, and many of those uh, great uh, Christian ideas is still prevalent in the society. Hmm. I was reading uh, some research in Zambia, and the figure was something incredible, like 70% of the population believe that God's law must be used as a basis for their civil law, um, which is really interesting. But right now, uh, from what I can gather is they've um, voted in a president now that is um, he has to s speak the Christian mantra just because the population so Christianized. But I, I don't um, uh, he's certainly not uh, standing by the, the true principles of before and uh, things are on a downward scale. I mean, from the time of Chiluba, they were doing double digits every single year for about 15 years uh, in economic growth, which is just phenomenal for Africa. Hmm. So it was very exciting to see that, but um, it's not going as, as well as it was. Well, are you hopeful? I mean, you must be. You keep there. You keep your family there. Are you hopeful? Yes. Very excited about the future in Africa. Uh, there's lots of work to be done, but we are seeing the fruits of uh, good, solid um, Christian teaching, biblical teaching, uh, some, just to give you some stories, some of the young men that we're working with in the squatter camp, the one young man is the deputy leader of the community, uh, of uh, like a community forum, and he negotiated on the part of the community to get electricity uh, from the, the electricity providers in South Africa, almost single-handedly. We're talking about a 25-year-old young man. His mother walked out on him when he was 12 years old, and he became the head of a household and had to look after his, his younger brother. He was found by a missionary friend of ours. We've been looking after him uh, for all these years. And just lately, his family called him to come and um, sit and talk to them. And they were telling him that he has to uh, give a sacrifice to the ancestors. And he refused. He said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I will not sacrifice anything to the ancestors ever again in my whole life. And his mother said to the rest of the family, none of you were here to help financially when I couldn't keep these young men, uh, my sons, uh, put food on the table for them, and I to leave them in search of uh, a job. 
Who looked after them? The Christians provided food for them. They put clothing on them. They helped educate them. They are serving the Christian God. Now, whose God do you think they're going to serve uh, if the Christians have been looking after them like this? And so that, that's very exciting. I've got one young man uh, who came to faith in Christ. He was part of the Economic Freedom Fighters, which is a political party in South Africa. And one of the statements, public statements, is that we're not going to start murdering the white people yet. That's, mm. that's his historic background in politics. He's come to faith in Christ, and he's standing for election next year for a Christian party called the African Christian Democratic Party. So our young men, we're training them up. As soon as they come to faith in Christ, we already deal with the doctrines of grace in the first month, and we get them out into pro-life demonstrations, get them into the shopping centers to do track distribution. They don't know what Christianity is about, so we're showing them straight away. You mentioned that uh, cell phones are prevalent in Africa, and if there are websites that can be accessed on cell phones. Well, when we revamped the Calcedon website a number of years ago, did optimize it for smartphones and, and, you know, cell phones. And virtually everything that Calcedon produces, books, videos, and audios are available. So I would encourage you to have those who have a hunger and thirst to access our website because one of the reasons we decided to make it available at no charge, of course, we hope our supporters continue to support Calcedon, but we knew that there were people in parts of the world that would never be able to have books delivered to them. And so I encourage you to encourage them because we want them to have access to our material. I will definitely do that. I visit the Calcedon uh, website to get information for my teaching these young people in Africa, and we are thrilled at the amount of books that Calcedon has helped us with um, at no cost to us to hand out to politicians in Zambia on our last visit there just uh, a month and a half ago, two months ago. And uh, we've been getting it into the hands of uh, the law writers. These are the, the lawyers who write laws in the country are, are getting Calcedon books. We're getting it through to the Minister of Finance in Zambia, getting it through to pastors. I'm talking about physical books that, that you have blessed us with, and we're just absolutely thrilled for that. Thank you very much. Yeah, I should mention specifically, uh, Andrea, that uh, I had just ordered and gotten a few extra copies of the little booklet, Faith and Obedience, and Introduction to Biblical Law by Rush Dooney. And uh, um, I offered one to Charles, but uh, Charles, tell her what you told me when I offered it to you. I said, uh, I've, I've got this. I said, thank you very much. We've, had, we've got loads of these books that we've been handing out in Zambia to the leaders uh, of the nation. So, so we just thrilled. That's great. What about homeschooling? Is there a homeschooling movement in your neck of the woods? There is in South Africa. It's been growing in leaps and bounds. Um, I don't know the latest statistics on it, but there are loads of people. And strangely enough, uh, it is two groups of people that seem to be involved, and that's the Christians who are very concerned about the demise of Christianity in the schools in South Africa, and then those who are atheists who despise um, the little bit of Christianity that's left over in the schools. So a really interesting group of people, those on the, the furthest uh, part on the philosophical spectrum <laughs> at, at home school. So it's a big movement. In fact, the uh, somebody said to me they went to a homeschooling seminar in Cape Town just uh, two weekends ago, and they said if there was so much information there, there were so many different 
curricula that's available that if you were starting off in homeschooling, you would have been really confused, So, which, which is a good thing. The free market is really making a difference there, and praise the Lord for that. Right. Well, we have a regular homeschooling segment that's on Facebook. I don't know if people have Facebook in Africa or not, but we have videos that um, and lectures on the subject. And I, I have contact with people all over the world and because this internet highway is a great thing. I kind of yes. compare it to the Roman roads. Uh, Rome didn't build its roads for the spread of Christianity, but those roads helped the spread of Christianity. So let me say that if there's any way I could interact with any of those homeschool people that you come in contact with, the distance between the ocean and the continents is much shorter now than it used to be. Yes. No, thank you very much. That's a very good idea. We can start putting out that information. Well, Charles, um, if there would be one or two things uh, as we sort of wind things up here that you would want Christians in America to know or to remember one or two points that you would say, what would they be? Um, we have lots of challenges in Africa, and we are, are fighting in, in many different areas uh, for the sake of the, the kingdom. But one of the things that I think shocks African people is, is your abortions uh, in the West. Uh, even the, the total pagan reprobate African uh, won't murder his children. And uh, even when uh, people have been saying, you know, we, we have to have abortion in South Africa uh, for the, the poor black people, uh, some woman stood up and said, we Africans, we black people do not murder our children. Don't use us as an excuse for what you want to do. And uh, in certain countries, uh, abortion is, is banned completely still in Africa. Um, and so, you know, we've got a lot of work to do, but there's, there's certain things that... Um, the African traditional culture uh, is quite Christianized in. You know, they, they uh, stand against homosexuality. They stand against the, the murder of the unborn. And um, they show a lot of respect to the elderly. Um, those sorts of things which we can use and foster and um, uh, use as a launching pad for getting people the gospel of the kingdom and being able to use that. So... That that's maybe doesn't really answer your question, but uh, we've got lots of different struggles, and I would like to encourage Western Christians to get involved in the fight. the The world of of murdering the innocent is uh, such a massive calamity and a terrible indictment on on Western thinking, Western Christianity. And until we start re remedying this idea, we are going to we can't see the blessing. Uh, God on our nations and our people. And this is one of the things we do as soon as people come to faith in Christ, they, we get them involved in, in fighting against abortion, it's involved in spiritual warfare, and God answers their prayers. It's so exciting to see our young men in our township, in the squatter camp. Uh, there was uh, friends of ours in, involved in the anti-abortion pro-life movement here in America, and police just uh, arrested somebody, uh, a young Christian man, and we picked this up on, on Facebook, and that evening at our church service, which was the morning in America that he was uh, arrested, we were at a church service, and we got 100 kids to stand up individually uh, praying for this young man. Hmm. And by the time I got home and I said to my friend, we were all praying for this young man in um, our Stonehill service that evening, he said to me, he's just been released. And our kids were so excited <laughs> that mm -hmm. God answered their prayers. Um, 
we've been teaching them uh, how to pray imprecatory prayers. And so they were praying for the Shabins, which is the, the local sexual drug uh, bar place where people get drunk every weekend. They were praying for the for the Lord to close it down, and the, the next day it was raided by the police and closed down. And so they're just so ecstatic about uh, the newfound faith and God answering their prayers, and uh, we just we just uh, thrilled uh, to see the growth of these young men. Well, if our listeners want to learn more about your ministry and some of these other things that you've described uh, going on in Africa, what, what website could they go to for that? They can go to my website, missionaryinafrica.com missionaryinafrica.com and then from there they can get to my blog and there's some videos and that sort of thing that uh, people can have a look at to see uh, how we go about things. Uh, We're very involved in medical ministry, educational ministry, um, all sorts of things, sport ministry, any which way that we can find an area to connect with people for teaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ to take dominion, we'll use it. If I may make a suggestion, and, you know, sometimes I have more ideas than are practical, but I remember growing up, and there was there were pen pal clubs. There were people who you would get their address from a different country. I remember having a pen pal from Germany, and she and I wrote back and forth for a while. Do you think it would be useful if there are people who would like to support the work that you do by being accessible to some of the people you interact with so that their faith there could be bolstered. Do you think that's a feasible thing to do? Wow, certainly from our side. Uh, our people aren't, as I say, great readers and writers, but they, um, they they certainly would be interested in those kind of friendships, which, you know, with today, um, you can actually speak to each other on the Internet like we're doing right now. You don't have to always write. Exactly. Uh, people in contact like that, I think that would be fascinating. Because I would love to help the bombs who are either contemplating homeschooling or have started homeschooling. And you know what? It'd be great if people could read, but for those of us who can read and who have absorbed the gospel of the kingdom, as you put it, we could at least help you in giving agreement to them that they're not alone. They might be a minority where they are, but quite frankly, as Charles will agree, we're a minority a lot of times here. And as Dr. Rushduni would say, it's the dedicated minorities that make the greatest impact. Yes. No, that that would be a fantastic idea. And and either way, you know, if, if you are having trouble in certain states, we can be praying for you and uh, try and uh, support you in some way. And, and it can work the other way around as well. You know, we often rely on our Christian friends in the West to be praying for uh, missionaries that have been uh, abducted or have, uh, have been arrested by government officials or something like that. And uh, where we see God answering prayers in, in amazing ways. Excellent. Oh, I look forward to it. I think that's a project that we certainly can work on together. Fantastic. I look forward to that. Well, Charles, we sincerely thank you for taking time out of your schedule to uh, uh, be on the podcast with us. It's been a genuine pleasure to speak with you and to learn from you. And we would ask our listeners to keep uh, Charles' work and ministry in their prayers. And um, Andrew, did you have any parting thoughts? Well, here's a little plug. A number of years ago, I did have Charles come out to my neck of the woods, and he was he appeared on radio, and he appeared at a local church. And I also had interviewed him about his background, and we didn't spend a whole lot of time on that. But I will put a link to um, my interview with him 
so that people can get a better understanding of who this man is that we've been talking with. Well, thank you very much, Andrea. Really appreciate that. And thank you very much, Charles. And, uh, it's been fantastic chatting to you. I hope it's really helpful to the listeners. Well, it certainly has been. And we thank you again and uh, thank our listeners for tuning in. Until our next podcast, thanks very much. Goodbye, Andrea. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit kingdomdrivenfamily.com. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom. <laughs>